0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: I just didn't have time to set my green screen. Ah, Did you me? good, man. No problem, Justin. Yo, what's good, everybody? Happy Friday. Again, i let you down on Wednesday. That's going to change. I promise you that's going to change. I've been dealing with a bit of a crazy week this week for myself. As usual, I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir. The Friday episode, we bring in Mr. Will. Will usually drops some knowledge bombs on us, keeps us entertained, and then he goes away. I mean, Will's super stoked this week because he's going to be in Mexico um, for two weeks after what you go on Monday. No,
0: leaving. Uh, leaving Sunday, Sunday morning. So taking off. I'm gonna be uh gonna hit the beaches for a couple weeks here. So hopefully the next time y'all hear my voice here, I'll have uh maybe a pina colada or a margarita in one hand and be and be chopping it up with Adam while on the beach. So the words will be a bit more slurred, but the information will stay the same.
1: Who knows? I can't be held liable for that, so we'll uh, we'll have to approach that subject when we get to it. <laughs> Dude, for real, I, I, there was a point in time before I recorded, like before I ever started recording this podcast, that I never did a podcast without a drink in my hand. Like, I think it took me a while to get confident behind a microphone. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, I need that Dutch courage. I need that. Um, yeah. I need that liquor." And now I'm just like, "Dude, if I drank now, it would be so blatantly obvious that I just avoid it like the play. I totally relate to
0: that, man. I feel like, you know, for a while there was, there was several, several years ago. Now I had a blog for a while and myself and Greg was one of the other contributors on this blog, along with two or three other friends of ours. And this was a little bit before podcasts had really taken off, but we knew it was kind of coming and we should have just, you know, just dove into it. But part of it for me was, Exactly what you're saying. I didn't have like the courage to do it. I was like, man, like it was freaking me out. I was getting anxiety. And so even, you know, a year ago or so when when I finally took the plunge and, and Greg and I, the other one of the other co-hosts on this podcast, started kind of doing our thing, like the first couple times was definitely was around, you know, the Celtics being in the playoffs. And just in general, part of, you know, my usual watching habits was, you know, popping open a, a Heineken or a Corona or whatever the, the beer or a libation of choice was. And so definitely the first couple times to you know, loosen up. Like it, it, it's an odd, it's an odd feeling to just jump on here and feel like you're kind of talking into the ether, even though it's you and I just having a casual conversation, but knowing that someone else is going to come in and listen to it. Sometimes you need that little liquid encouragement. So I'm right there with you,
1: man. I'm, I totally get it. It's crazy as well. Cause you get that confidence behind the mic and then video starts getting incorporated, right? Like at the moment I'm looking at how am I going to produce YouTube content? How's that going to work? And then I'm like, I remember going backwards and I'm producing reels on Instagram. If anyone's following me there, you get a couple of reels a week there. And I remember thinking back to like a year ago and it was the same thing. I couldn't put myself in front of a camera without having that look li- Cause I'm like, people are going to see me. What about my beard? Is my beard neat? How's my <laughs> hair look? I was going to throw the beanie on everyone who follows me knows me and that beanie is synonymous with each other at this point. And, um, now I'm just like, yo, I don't even care how I look, dude. I'm going on camera and, you know, what? who am I trying to impress with my looks? It's yeah. not what I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be a model. I'm not no, trying to look. I, I totally feel you. I got, like, I honestly switched up my hat. I'm, we're not even doing
0: video today, but I even switched up my hat before. So I was like, oh, man, I feel like I've, wore, I've worn the same hat on here too much. And in case we do video, I want to make sure I, I, I kind of look right. But at the same time, you know, I used to always make sure, like, my. you, you mentioned your beard. I'm the same way. Follow up the talent challenge up top, but on the beard, I can I can compete with the best of them. So I used to always make sure I was kind of lined up, had it like a little, little bit proper, as much as I could try and get it to. But then I started to realize, man, especially doing it like you know over Zoom or some of the other stream services that we're using here, you can't notice. It's it's just not like it's not it's not really gonna be like that apparent if it's not ext- exact. And then once I kind of got over that. It is what it is, man. We come out here, we can chop it up, and now it's like you could text me and be like, hey man, some news just broke. Five minutes. You ready? And it's like, let's do it. And there's not even a second thought to it.
1: Yeah, for real, man. Like, my outlook on it is if I'm doing a basketball content, it's like if I'm producing basketball content and your biggest issue with that is my beard wasn't lined up correctly. I didn't do a good enough job in producing that content. Cause you're too focused on the beard, right? Like now, unless my beard's as long and as Luxurious as Perks because Perks, beard, <laughs> yeah, ultimately one of the best beards I think you can see. Um Then you know I, I I'm not going to trip over it like if if it's neat it's neat if it's not it's not. But it yeah. definitely took, it took a while to get that confidence. I'm jealous of Perk's
0: beard, man. Perk's got that. My beard doesn't grow long. It just grows kind of like thick and then sometimes a little bit curlier. I get these stray pointy ones. So I'm definitely a little jealous. I was was watching a video of Perk earlier today. Perk's got a nice beard going, man. You're definitely on point with
1: that. So I grew my beard out long at one point. And um, I'm talking like a good probably what foot off my face. There's a lot of beard. dude. That's like a, what is that? Like a ZZ Top type beard? That's so much because I'm talking in, like, the whole amount of beard. Like, I ha- I'd have to put it all in a row to be a foot long. But okay. overall, like, there was, like, a foot's worth of hair. And um, I, I, I used to get it lined up all the time and stuff. And then I was like, you know what? It's just too much, man. It's just too much. It's too much work. And I'm just like, I don't need, like, you know, you know what the beard life's like? You have an ice cream and, like, in the summer, and like your whole beard's matted up and stuff. I'm like, dude, just trim it down a little bit and just kind of let it flow. But look, man, everyone's listening to our our, uh, our confidence issues, which we have obviously <laughs> yeah. overcome. So let's get into it, man. I mean, there's been so much going on. Yesterday, uh, so, all over the place, we're recording this on Thursday. So yesterday to us, Wednesday, for everybody else listening, was one of the most manic NBA news days in recent memory. Not just involving the Celtics, but in general, it was every 15 minutes, it was A coach coach has been fired. Somebody stepped down. Kyrie Irving's injured. Now Kawhi's not playing. Chris Paul enters COVID protocol. It's like, what more needs to happen for everyone to just be like, yo, this season was never a good idea?
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. LeBron talked about that too. You know, it's it's a little bit of, of hindsight right now to look back. But I do think, you know, ultimately capitalism won the day. And that's the reason that the season took place. It's the reason the season started as quickly as it did. If you remember back, you know, people weren't thinking the season was going to start until I think it was end of January or early February. And they bumped that up to Christmas. And that's part of the reason you had guys coming in that were out of shape, had slow starts. So this season has really been a mess kind of from from top to bottom. And, you know, maybe now just as we have, you know, fans back in the building, the playoffs have been, you know, relatively exciting we're starting to lose all these big names and it's disappointing.
1: Man, when I say disappointing, it's like, um, you mentioned it. Like I, I don't really kind of traverse Facebook too much. Like, uh, it's just not a platform that I tend to mess with too deep. Like, you know, but, um, I remember scrolling through that earlier and I see LeBron put up a status on Facebook saying like, um, uh, you know, I'm apologizing to the fans because you're not seeing your favorite players this year, and it's not really a playoff you can enjoy when some of the best players in the world are competing at 50% or 25%, or they're not competing at all. And then I'm sitting here thinking, well, one of the best players in the world's named Jason Tatum, and he, he's not competing because the Celtics got bounced. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I'm like, I get it, but from my perspective. There was some amazing players that got knocked out early. Luka Doncic knocked out early. Okay. Jason Tatum knocked out early. Then you look around the league of who's still remaining. Trey Young is pretty much like the breakout star of these playoffs. He's having a phenomenal run. Ben Simmons is starting to get that, you know, there's questions being thrown around Ben Simmons. Giannis, it's becoming increasingly clear that Giannis is not that number one guy. He He needs somebody else alongside him and he just doesn't have that right now. And then, like, this all got me thinking. Like, it it got me sitting here thinking, well, how much of this is coaching? How much of this is roster construction, you know? Because if you look at the Sixers, I think Doc Rivers has done a fantastic job there. I think he's instilled mental fortitude. Um, He's really developed Joel Bede as a competitor from an individual standpoint. He's figured out the spacing issues. But then you still come back to, if Ben Simmons won't shoot freeze, regardless of make freeze, I'm not talking about make them. I'm talking about just take them. Show uh, You're always going to be limited spatially. You get what I'm saying? And it's the same. And then you look at Giannis that shooting in the freeze, but they're not running sets to get Giannis the ball down on the block. Mm-hmm. And what I'm kind of leading up to is, these are some high-level coaches. Budenhold one of the best, you, you know, regular season coaches in the league. Doc Rivers won a chip in Boston and then you look and you're like the coaching decision that the Celtics make, you you're seeing it play out now. What level of importance that actually holds during the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and, and you touched on it there. I think it's we're seeing that massive divide between the regular season, and the postseason. And it's coming in the form of, of both the coaching and the roster construction. There are certain players and certain roster constructions that have been built to get you through that regular season. And there are certain things from a strategic standpoint that have worked, that have gotten you to this point. And now we're seeing those kind of fall apart when you get deeper into a series, when you have the opportunity to study opponents to focus on their individual weaknesses as a team and as individual players and how you can exploit those in a seven-game series. And, you know, I think Doc Rivers is a great example. You know, they had that massive collapse last night. Ben Simmons, never mind Ben Simmons shooting threes, just, just shooting balls at the rim just being able to, to take shots in the game. And I think one thing for me with Ben Simmons has always been, listen, if you're not going to shoot threes, that's one thing, but you have to be able to shoot from the mid range or from the free throw line extended. And he won't shoot that at all. And you can see now in his free throw shooting four of 14 in the game that most recently happened and shooting under 33% for the postseason. That's not a mistake, Adam. I looked that up before this under 33% for the postseason. Like, that's just not going to get it done. And so you have to figure out, you know, what works in the regular season, what works in in the postseason. I've seen, you know, Doc Rivers' name being thrown around as, you know, not coming back as the Sixers coach. I don't think that's going to happen for the record. But I've seen that pop around on Twitter a little bit today. And if you look back, you know, you don't even have to go back two weeks. You can go back a week when, you know, Philly's up two to one. No one's saying that. Everyone's kind of pushing that Doc Rivers has changed the culture. He's done all the things that you mentioned. And right now, it's never been more apparent that there is a huge, huge difference from
1: that regular season to what we're getting here in this postseason. And it's the same with the Celtics. If you look at the way that Brad Stevens during the regular season, one of the biggest arguments everybody has was he's not calling out enough set plays. He's not calling out enough variations of set plays. He's letting guys just kind of run it free will, letting them just, you know, run a bit of pistol down the wings. But generally what we're going to do is we're just going to read and react. As soon as the playoffs comes around, Brad Stevens barking out set play after set play after set play. And in the first game of the season um, of the series and the third, that worked a little bit, you know, that was working. And, you see those adjustments that coaches make, and obviously you need the player personnel. Sometimes the best coach in the world can only take a team so far, and we saw that against Brooklyn, and now you're seeing it with Doc Rivers and the Sixers. You can only instill so much into your team before the players need to take responsibility and accountability for the performances that they're putting on the floor, right? Yeah. Like if if Ben Simmons is shooting thirty three percent then that's a Ben Simmons problem. Doc Rivers cannot go and just grab the ball midair and put them in the hoop. You can't shoot the free throws for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons just got
0: to make free. If they're going to go hack a Simmons, you just got to be better than
1: 33%. If you've got um, Robert Williams missing two or three games in a playoff series, you cannot be out there as a coach providing vertical spacing. Probably because you're the shortest guy on the floor the minute you step onto it. But the, the point being is, there's a limit to how much coaches can change the events on the floor but what they can do is change the culture change the mindset and what I'm kind of trying to lead into with all of this is there's a very respected very well-versed coach that was um, stepped down from his position earlier today and Rick Carlisle and I've already seen people throwing that around like hey maybe Rick's going to be interested in the Celtics' job, oh, has Dallas jumped leapfrog the Celtics to the most desirable destination for coaches right now? And I want to kind of explore that. Like, first of all, has Dallas over jumped jumped over Boston? Like, from where I'm standing, yeah, Dallas has Luca, but it also has Kristaps Porzingis. It also has decisions to make on Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen mm-hmm. Brunson. You look at Boston; their best two players both perform well, both seemingly get 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 on well together. And the Stars are all locked down long-term. There's only some minor decisions to make. And your biggest decision in roster-wise is going to be what to do with Marcus Smart. So which job do you think is more desirable? Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it right
0: there. And and I'm going to throw the Pelicans into this mix as well because I think they fall right in line because... All of this really lines up with is if, if you're a coach that has an opportunity and you're looking for, you know, who's the, the best young player that you can kind of link up with. And that's that's what's going to be the major appeal of these jobs between Luka, Zion, and Jason Tatum. And then when you peel that back and then you have Jalen Brown also in the mix for the Celtics and you look at all of the contract situations and with Luka and Zion, I have to throw in a little bit of a caveat because they're both at a point where Luka is going to become extension eligible This offseason, I believe Zion will be next year. And you're starting to hear, you know, rumors or, you know, whispers about if they're going to be that first person that will turn down that max offer, take a qualifying offer and become a free agent. Now, no one's done that yet, but no one's done that until someone does it. And maybe, maybe Zion and Luca are those guys, maybe not. If they're not those guys and they go the traditional route, You have to remember that then they would have that coach that comes in will likely be paired with Luca or Zion for the foreseeable future. Now with the Celtics, you already have that security. You already have Jason Tatum's deal. His deal is signed. He is good to go. Jalen Brown's here for a minimum the next three years. So I think when you factor in the young star players, and then you talked about on the fringes, what you have to work with within those other rosters. And I think all three have their downfalls when talking about the Pelicans, Mavericks, and Celtics. I think the Celtics are a little bit less. And if you're a head coach looking at the opportunities, you know that you have two, two-way 2 dynamic wings. Jason Tatum, top 10 talent. Jalen Brown going to be right there in that 20 to 25 range with the opportunity to maybe jump up in those tiers over the next year or two. I think I would lean towards the Celtics still being a little bit more attractive, but there's definitely an argument to be made with how special Luca and Zion are, that those jobs are are just as attractive, if not more. And of course, Adam, we're leaving out the possibility here that there's a coaching position that isn't even open yet, but could be open in the next week. That's right in this
1: category as well. And I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you know what's crazy about that? You look at, say the books become open as well. Well, now you have two offensive forces that are dominant within the paint in Zion and Giannis. And then you have two offense, you have an offensive genius in Luca that can just drain it wherever, create wherever. And then you have Tatum who's arguably the best scorer out of the four of them. That's very debatable when you include Luca's name in there. Um, I've, I, I just see Luca as this absolute God of a basketball player yeah. at the moment. Um, but when I'm looking at that, I'm like each type of player is going to require require a different type of coach. There's going to be, you're going to need a stern coach with somebody like Zion, because I, for one thing, I think Stan Van Gundy was doing the right thing in trying to develop point forward Zion. Oh, it's a beast. Zion, I, it was one of the best things of the entire NBA season was when I could tune in and
0: catch a little point Zion.
1: Yeah, because he's just so dominant physically that it made sense. Then, Then you look at Jason Tatum, you're trying to develop point forward Jason Tatum. But you're not trying to develop point forward Giannis because the handle's not there. You're not trying to develop um, Luka Doncic into any more of a playmaker than what he already is. What you're trying to do with Doncic is entice him to play a little bit more off-ball and learn how to affect games off-ball, get other guys incorporated, just like Kristaps Porzingis spoke about. So then you look at the coaches that are available right now, the names that are being thrown around. Uh, I'm becoming more and more wishful in one-in-Juan Howard. Um very wishful thinking i don't think that's going to happen you then you look at like um hey hold so. on adam before
0: you before you move on tell, tell me a little bit more about why why Juwan howard has, has piqued your interest and in why you're becoming wishful for, for him as a potential candidate
1: yeah so like i don't get to watch much college basketball right like it's just it's it's not readily available here i have to pay a subscription i do it for the march march madness tournament but generally like College basketball with the amount, the, the amount of difficulty of staying up to date with the NBA in general because of the time zone difference. It's hard to add in that college. But everybody I've spoke to is like Juan Howard's probably the most inventive coach in, in the NCAA. Um, one of the most respected has turned a program around quite quickly, um, become very well respected. And I'm like, I want that. I want somebody to come in with their own ideas, not have to just try and build on what Brad did, but come in and be like, right, I'm going to take the best things of what Brad did in his tenure, but I've got my own persona with my own experiences in college and I'm going to put those to the test in the league. I also think he could resonate with how young a roster this is. A guy coming out of college dealing with a young roster like this, it's it's only a few years jump in age, whereas somebody like um Chauncey Billups, who's been around, um, like around, NBA veterans all year, that's an adjustment for you because now you've gone from dealing with 29 to 34-year-olds to dealing with 18 to 23-year-olds. And the mentality difference between those two age groups is rather striking, whereas coming from college to dealing with those age groups mentally, it's rather similar. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really given too much thought to the Jawan Howard
0: pick. I know I've seen his name kind of floated around here and there, and it does make you wonder with you know, with Brad Stevens' connections to the college game. And, you know, that was his own path to be able to come the Celtics head coach. If that's a route that, that he would explore. Now, it's only been a year that Juwan Howard has has been at Michigan. So it would be a quick turnaround back. But he does have some assistant, NBA uh, assistant experience as well. So I do think that's an
1: interesting name to, to keep in the mix. And he turned that program around in one year. Do you know what I mean? He made them really formidable. And then, like, I do understand, like, you know, there's been... college. Johnny Beeline is always going to be the guy I refer to now as a, a phenomenal college coach, came to the NBA and just didn't adjust. And I don't know if that was just because of his age and how long he'd been a college coach, but there's always those concerns. But I think, like, you look at Juwan Howard, Sam Cassell, those type of guys are names that I think the Celtics should be looking at because of the how current they are. And not just that, but, you know, like how young the Celtics roster is you need somebody that's going to command respect in the locker room but be able to foster development and develop like a a caring developmental environment and I look at guys like Stan Van Gundy um, you look at Rick Carlisle they strike me more as coaches once your roster is ready and just needs those final few tweaks to get over the hump Than somebody that you can bring in and they're going to coax out new levels of development from players that are already on a specific trajectory
0: interesting so for me i and i'm curious that actually let me ask you this first adam do you think the celtics are closer to being that team that's that's ready to be taking that next leap meaning for those type of coaches that are trying to take your team to that finals level, to that final level of the video game that you're trying to get to, or that they should be looking for more of a developmental coach. Which one are you more, more hinting at?
1: You see, so for me, I'm like the Celtics out of all the teams that are currently available. They're the one that are like, like bang smack in the middle of that pendulum. Mm -hmm. They, they can go whichever way they need to depending on the type of coach they bring in and it's all just about how they maximize their trade assets if you bring in a coach like of um not i'm not nowhere no way i'm advocating for van gundy but somebody <laughs> of that like that kind of caliber like um somebody you come in you bring in and they just tweak the roster a little bit implement a defensive structure and now you're a contender you can do that you package your neesmith your pritchard your marcus Smart, your trade um Christian thompson's whoever you need to to build out that rotation full of veterans that can play that type of system and you're a contender now if you bring in somebody that's going to foster development and be more of a developmental coach and work with the younger guys to build value for future trades for all stars well you've already got that in place right now you don't even really need to make any trades you just bring in somebody and be like hey let's let's elevate romeo let's elevate neesmith let's continue to develop pritchard We've still got Tatum and Brown going on an upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I do think they're bang smack in the middle of that pendulum. And it's quite interesting to me which type of coach they choose, because that's going to tell you a lot about the next few months. Yeah, and it'll tell you a lot about where Brad Stevens wants this team to go, whether
0: he's which, which mindset he's leaning towards. One thing that I have thought about, though, now with there being, you know, almost, we're getting close to almost a third of the league or quarter of the league having openings. And we just talked about some of the top ones. So there's a lot more competition. Do you think this puts any pressure on the Celtics to make a move sooner rather than later? Because now, as we talked about, you know, for a couple of weeks here, it was looking like the Celtics were going to be the number one most coveted opening. And so not necessarily having the pick of the litter, but having, you know, a lot of these top tier coaching candidates that are going to be interviewing for a lot of the same jobs that we're going to be looking like, I want to hold out because I want to get my interview with Boston. I want to make my mark in Boston. I'd rather work with the Jays than go to, you know, Indiana and work with Sabonis and Brogdon. Now that we're looking at openings that involve Luca, opening that involves Zion, potential opening that may involve Giannis, do you think that puts any pressure on Brad Stevens to start to to move a little bit quicker?
1: Honestly, I hope not. I think that there's always going to be a pressure, a level of pressure when you're um, the president of basketball operations for the Celtics. I think there's always going to be that level of pressure, but I think there's enough high quality coaches that are available right now that we probably don't even know some of the names that are on Stevens' list. There's going, and we probably. The people we're putting so much stock in Becky Hammond, Cara Lawson, Chauncey Billips, Sam Cassell, the names that get floated around so consistently. And I'm just as guilty as that. I think those four are probably your four front runners. That doesn't mean they're Brad Stevens' four front runners. That doesn't mean he's not looking at a Jerry Stackhouse. It doesn't mean he's not looking at a Jay Laranaga. So I think that while the media will tell you there's certain favorites for each job, realistically, there's probably another five, six names that Brad Stevens is very confident in that haven't made the round yet. And for that reason, I'd still want him to have a very judicial coaching um, search because you have to get it right. It's your first move in your new role. And that's going to set the tone and the precedent for the way that your tenure is going to be viewed.
0: Yeah. And then even once
1: that move's made,
0: you know, honestly, like I, I don't know If it's going to be a move that I will find a way to celebrate or be against or be, you know, I'll probably end up pretty neutral because until we then see who the coach is, how that affects Brad Stevens shaping of the roster. And then what it looks like there isn't going to be, especially for a lot of these candidates that don't have previous head coaching experience, there's not going to be a lot to base it off. So, you know, while it might be, you know it's great to talk about there's not going to be a lot of results that we'll see until we get that piece in place and then see how everything else falls into place after that
1: yeah i mean like man you could you could look at so many people like my outlook on it is as long as it's not jason Kidd, (laughs) i'm okay you know what i mean i I could even stomach lloyd pierce and i'm kind of out on lloyd pierce to be quite honest with you uh i also think you know Maybe Nate McMillan kind of looks back at this run with the Hawks and says to himself, I'm never going to beat this. This is the as far as I can take the Hawks. This was a very fortunate run based on injuries to teams around me, based on a shortened mm-hmm. season and, you know, Trey Young coming of age party. Or maybe the Celtics look over at Nate McMillan like, yeah, we really like what you've done over there how about you come and do that here very unlikely but this i'm just trying to say that there's more options available than what we're kind of yeah thinking. i mean the
0: nba is in chaos right now adam literally anything is on the table with with what could happen just we, not, as Ty <laughs> not Ty, hey Ty, Ty Lou's still in the playoffs you know I, I will say i feel like uh i'm stealing this point from from chris vernon on the ringer it feels like Lu almost like it's almost like he knows what to do but it takes him like two or three games within a series to eventually get there. For some reason, he's, you know, he just won't get to the moves that he needs to make until he's forced to do them in a series. It's very bizarre watching him coach this Clippers team right now.
1: Yeah, I just I for some reason I've never held him in too much of a high regard. Um, I think there's much more talented coaches out there. And I get it. He's a player's coach. He kind of comes in and gives you creative freedom and incorporates your ideas into the offense and the defense. And that's fantastic. But not for me. I want somebody calling out X's and O's on the sidelines. Not Nick Nurse level, because that I really dislike Nick Nurse, the way he conducts himself on the sidelines. But um, I want somebody that's going to be a good blend. And I think that, you know, the amount of coaches available, some of the names we haven't seen, there's definitely going to be options out there where we're like, oh, the Celtics interviewed them. I never even saw them as a candidate. So this is why I don't think there should be too much pressure on Boston right now. But I do think if you do have somebody like Cassell as your prime target... Then you need to strike now because there's too many available options out there, and you know these these guys, Casal can't afford to be turning down job opportunities in the hopes that Boston offer him a, a deal, or in the hopes that New Orleans offer him a deal. So I do think that from that standpoint, if one of these top four, top five name coaches that are being floated around is your primary target, then you need to strike now and just kind of live or die with the with the success or failure of that coach. Yeah, I think regardless, once one of
0: these names is off the board, especially if it's one of those top four uh, locations, and I'm including the Bucks in this because I am presuming that the Nets are going to go ahead and close that series out in the next couple of games and that Bud will be on the chopping block. Once one of those four teams makes their hire, I think you'll start to see a pretty quick ripple effect and, and things will really start to pick up in that coaching carousel.
1: Yeah, because teams are like, oh, dang, someone's made a move. Right, we need to do it. We don't want to be the guy picking from the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. You know what I mean? We we want the cream of the crop, so we need to make that deal now. We need to go and make that move. I mean, we've we've had a ton of coaching for about fifteen minutes now, so I feel like we we can move on. We can move on, which leads us to a snub, some <laughs> basketball snubbery, if you will. Some basically, it was a high school popularity contest for who gets to be prom king. Right, and I can't say anything because you know people have heard me say this before. I was prom king, so it's it's kind of hard. For oh, me, shout so. out to you, Adam. That's what's yeah, up, man. I didn't know that. Sort of flex, man. Sort of flex. <laughs> but um, it's one of them things, man. So then you look back and you're like, right then, you look at the players that got into the um all NBA teams over Jason Tatum, LeBron James played what was it? Only sixty percent of his games for LA. Uh, does he deserve to be there over Tatum? I think that we can all agree, and people probably won't like me being this honest, but we can all agree Julius Randle probably did deserve to be he did. one of a, I think I think it's a fact, Adam. You know, but then you look at like the Kyrie Irving news that came out, Jason Tatum beat Kyrie Irving in votes, but because most of Tatum's votes were as a forward, Kyrie Irving gets the nod. So my first takeaway is if basketball's positionless, why are we voting all NBA teams by position? Not- yeah, that's
0: yeah, that's number one. The system's terrible, and this is you know, this is not the first time that a player has been, you know, let's just say screwed out of an all NBA nod because of the way the system is set up. And it's this facade that the NBA sets up to be able to give voters versatility. But when in reality, if you're giving them the versatility to vote for Jason Tatum as a forward or a guard, you're then only hurting their overall case if they're only going to be allowed to take one of those vote totals and apply it to whatever their all NBA destination is. So I I think that's, a very important point that you bring up, Adam, that before we talk about any of the discussions of where, you know, Jason Tatum should have been or whether or not that, that he was snubbed. I, I, I struggle with the word snub. And we can talk more about that in a minute, but you know, I think that's the first thing that needs to be addressed that the system itself is, is surely broken. Chris Middleton was someone who, who, had the same type of fate last year where he had more overall points but because his higher point total was slightly less for one position versus Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook they got in but if you combine his other point total much like Jason Tatums they would have then been on the team so that's a flaw within the system which I hope is addressed at some point because like you said it goes positionless and it really that that's the way that the voting should be and it makes no sense that they make random designations of who gets multi positions that you can vote for and in the end of the day I think it's actually doing more harm than the good it's intended to provide.
1: Oh, for sure, man. I mean, if you're telling me that Jason Tatum overall accumulated more votes than Corey Irving and you allowed them to vote for him as a guard, I don't care where most of those votes went. Overall, you won. So now you should be in that All-NBA 13. Exactly. Especially, and I'm not saying this should be part of the voting process or... Uh, a train of thought you should be making when making these selections because then it unevens the playing field. But you just cost Tatum thirty-two million dollars. Yeah, you know that's like someone cost me thirty-two million dollars, then I'm gonna be a there's there's gonna be some very bad days in my future that are gonna involve jail cells because that's that's <laughs> a bunch of cash, dude. That's a lot of
0: cash. Luckily, luckily at least for Tatum, it seems between you know Ruffles, Subway, Gatorade, Jordan Brand, I think he'll find a couple of ways to to make up for it, but. Real
1: talk, 30 mil, still 30 mil. Especially when you say, like, Jimmy Butler. Like, Titan was better than Jimmy Butler this year. I think Ooh. there's some... I, uh, I genuinely let's, believe... Let's, let's talk about that for a little bit, because I actually... I, I, I think
0: LeBron and Paul George are the areas that I would lean towards. And, and like I said, I think I have, I have a little trouble with the word snubs because I think there's such a crazy amount of talent this year that you could have easily made a fourth team, and it would have been all players that have uh have legitimate cases to be to be in the all NBA team. But when you look at the forwards specifically, if we're taking out the you know hypocrisy of the way that the point system works, LeBron and Paul George were the two that I thought Tatum you can make a pretty good argument he should have replaced. Butler was actually the one that I didn't think he should have replaced. I'm curious to hear
1: to hear your reasoning on that. Well first of all the dude shot 24.5% from free. But That's obviously, a fair
0: point.
1: <laughs> no. But obviously, I try not to look at just shooting splits because there is so much more to the game than that. But like, um, I just feel like a lot of how people viewed Jimmy Butler was based on that playoff run he had in the bubble and how exceptionally good he was during that playoff run in the bubble. I think that that Jimmy Butler is an all NBA level player. This year, I feel like there is a very long stretch of period of time where his foot was completely off the gas. You know, he was going through the motions. Uh, a quiet game for Jimmy Butler is 18 to 20 points. So an average of the year uh, 21.5 mm-hmm. shows you that when he did have his good games, it slightly improved that average. Uh, I feel like he's their primary playmaker. So seven assists a game is exactly where you'd like him to be. That's respectable. But there's just times where I felt like he, his effort levels weren't there. I'm not saying I watched a ton of Heat games. I probably watched 20 Heat games this year, which is like, what, one in three, basically? So I feel like that's enough to be like Jimmy Butler was good, but he wasn't Jason Tatum level good. And when when the heat went down in games, it was always a collective that brought them back. And I know Jimmy Butler has that takeover gene. You know that he can take over a game real quick, but it just it was always a collective resurgence. You'd see There'd be Duncan Robinson getting hot. Then Tyler Hero would get hot. Jimmy Butler would be your metronome facilitating everything, but he wasn't dominating a game the way we see Jason Tatum just like, right, then I'm going to flip this switch now everybody's done for, you know? And then you you know when Tatum's hot, you're like, right, this this game's done. You know, I can sit back comfortable. Mm -hmm. Tatum's going to drop 50, 60, whatever he needs. I never felt like that watching Jimmy Butler this year.
0: So I think all of your points are... Are accurate and, and have a and have a ton of merit and are, you know it are it's, def- it's the reason why when I look at this, I think of who's the better player? Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's the guy I'm taking 10 times out of 10. When I look at Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum, it's Jason Tatum who's more talented, he's the better player. When I think of all MBA, of who had the better season, for me, and this is probably this is my own thing. I tend to factor in your team's success that goes along with it, especially when you are the leader and best player of that team. And for me, I said going into, you know, a couple weeks before the end of the season, when there was that big showdown in Boston, two-game series, Heat, Celtics, essentially loser ends up in the play-in, is that when you start looking at the amount of spots that were available for all NBA and the candidates that were out there, that between Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum, who are both guys that are going to be in that group of five where there's only three spots, that for me, this was going to determine who gets that All-NBA spot. And, you know, this is not going to be fun to hear. I know Celtics fans may not like this, but for me, Jimmy Butler came in and secured his All-NBA spot when the Heat came into Boston in essentially a playoff scenario and took down the Celtics. And Jimmy Butler was the leader of that Heat team. I know he even went out for, I believe it was the second game with an injury. But he's the leader of that team, came in, kicked the Celtics into the play-in tournament. The Heat ended up with the sixth seed. I thought Jimmy Butler, you know, his numbers are never going to be as good as the as line, the, especially from a point perspective, with what Jason Tatum puts out there. But I am a Jimmy Butler fan. I like what Jimmy Butler does for that team defensively, the way that he runs that offense. And for me, it just comes down to the Heat ended up, with a better record than the Celtics didn't end up in the play-in and both teams had their challenges when it came to injuries and COVID so I thought from that perspective is a a somewhat fair way to look at it and with Jimmy's team ending up more successful in the Celtics I didn't have as much of a problem with Jimmy getting an all-NBA nod for me it's when I look at Paul George and then LeBron when it comes to the missed games as to where I think Tatum should have probably had an edge over those two.
1: I mean, I'll I'll agree with you that Butler's the leader of that team, but I do not think he's the most talented player on that team. I think that goes to Bam Adebayo at this point. Yeah, who's Uh, another guy that could have been a technical, you know, all-NBA
0: snub. You know, I even wrote down, Adam, like talking about just how talented that this league is. Next year, would it surprise you if there was an all-NBA team that was Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, and Bam Adebayo? No, that's a dream team. I, I, I think that could work. And all of them did not make it, these these teams this year, just to how crazy the talent depth is in the NBA right now. And
1: that's not even factoring in that Harden and Durant were borderline ineligible because of injury. The other one I want to point out is as well, like, Butler only played 52 games this year. Yeah,
0: you know? that's another point, yep.
1: You know, and I get it. It was, what, a 62-game season this year, was it?
0: Uh, yeah, 62, so, correct. So he no, missed 10 games. 70, no, 72. 72 we're, we're so he, he, yeah. he
1: missed 20 games himself. You know, so he misses twenty games. When you talk about the Miami Heat came into Boston and kind of cemented that playing, they did, but it was a weakened Boston team. It wasn't like you were going up against full strength Celtics. So, to if if this, if anyone was using that as the barometer to say, right, one of Tatum or um, Butler needs to get into this into the All NBA, we're going to use this game as the as the like the, the key tipping point. Well, that's unfair because now you've got a pretty much full strength Heat team beating uh, Celtics team reeling off losing their second best player. You know, so th- I think there's, while I agree with you, team records should hold some form of weight when you're talking about which de- is these players are all NBA, because if you're an all NBA player, you're meant to be, right, if this guy's on your team, you're going to get 40 to 50 wins a game. You know, Luka Doncic on your team kind of guarantees a 40 to 50 win season. Because you've got Luka Doncic. He's going to do enough in half of your games to help you squeak out a win. LeBron James, a 40 to 50 win season. So these top tier players, and um, I speak about this with Jonathan Macris sometimes on other shows that we do. Like There's certain players where they're on your team and you're like, you're guaranteeing me enough wins to be an eighth seed at a minimum. Jason yeah. Tatum didn't do that this year. But he also had the COVID himself. He had the rehabilitation issues. Jimmy Butler, the same. I just, I do think that was a coin flip. Paul George, I agree with. I think that Jason Tatum's had a better season than Paul George. Yeah. Uh, I've been low on Paul George for a while. But I do think that I, I pointed at Jimmy Butler more just because it was a similar, co- it's the same conference. Mm-hmm. So I've seen more Butler than what I have Paul George. But statistically speaking, I think Tatum could have, should have beat out George and could have beat out either of those two guys. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I just don't think I can make a strong,
0: an overwhelming argument for any of, if you were to switch any of the guys that were mentioning that didn't make it with some of the guys that did make it, I think we're in the same boat where it's, It's a snub, but it's also you can kind of see both sides of the coin. And then it becomes, you know, whether it's a popularity contest or then it really gets back to our original point of how messed up the point system is, that if Tatum's entire total points were taken into account, we're
1: not even having this discussion as a snub, but he's on the team as he rightfully probably should be. Yeah, nobody's ever going to win. There's always going to be, well, this guy got missed out. This guy was overlooked. Tatum was snubbed. And, and I get it. I really do. I just feel like there's certain players. Like I've got the list in front of me. I've pulled them up while we're talking. Kawhi Leonard and Giannis. Cannot complain. Those two definitely mm-hmm. deserve to be there. Julius Randle. I have no issues with that. You basically dragged the Knicks into a playoff spot. Yeah, um, you, No you one were, had them as a four seed before the season. That's yeah, a, and that's you an were an the most improved hand. player. Like, you know, what I mean, you were like, one of the best feel-good stories as an individual in the league all year. You literally fulfilled all the potential everybody had seen in you, and you did it with a franchise that's been um like serial strugglers for years and years and years. So I'm fine with that. LeBron, I think he missed too many games. I don't think he impacted the, 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 his team enough to realistically be there, but he's there because he's LeBron James. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Then you've got Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Those are the two where I'm like, yeah, I get why you're there, but realistically, Tatum should have been there over next to Butler or next to George. But it it is it's um it's one of those things where I've got my opinion. Um, a Miami Heat fan's going to argue with me, and I can see their perspective because Jimmy Butler is not a bad player. But I just don't think that you can say he was so much better than Tatum that he isn't a debatable piece in that all um, All NBA third team. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I don't think it's definitive in either way you look at it here. Um,
0: Yeah, I I think there's plenty of arguments to be made that a lot of these guys could have been on this team that weren't. But at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to just, you know, a numbers game. And, you know, looking at it, I'm with you with all the guys that you laid out of the ones that were kind of the definitives that were going to make it. And then I think, you know, I I don't know where the we talked about how weird this season is, you know. I don't know what the line was for how many games you missed is too many. And, you know, when you're disqualified, you know, it was enough to disqualify James Harden, which I don't think he missed that much, that many more games than LeBron James. I don't have it pulled up. So for me, it was really surprising to see LeBron definitively make a second team. That I thought was very surprising with the amount of games he missed. So I think it's between LeBron or Paul George that, in my mind, would be the one that, that would be removed. And Jason Tatum ultimately should have been on the team over one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can go in circles on this for hours, dude. Like, <laughs> You know, part of me wants to kind of bring in like multiple covers, like bringing a heat guy, bringing a Clippers guy or a Clippers girl or a heat girl uh, and go to town on this discussion. But I genuinely believe that it'll be an hour conversation where we all leave very heated and nobody's any closer to having like a defined agreement. And that's fine because that's what sports does. It unites us and it divides us in exactly the same breath you know so I'm fine with that yeah it's the only fun. Other, yeah it's fun sometimes it's incredibly frustrating um, <laughs> the only other thing we've got to touch on and we'll do this real quick it'll just be a yes or no answer how do you feel about Jason Tatum and Team USA do you wish he'd stayed um, opted out and stayed having like his own offseason and some rest and recovery or are you happy that he, he's going to play with those guys I'm happy for it, man. It's a childhood dream.
0: You know, it's it's one of those backyard moments when you're counting down final shot, game seven. You know, you're you're either pretending that you're going to be your team that you root for or you're winning an Olympic gold medal for for your country, whether that's the USA, England, Japan, wherever it might be. So I got no problem with it. You know, I think it's unfortunately going to, rear itself as a topic if Jason Tatum gets off to a slow start next season about not having enough rest you know the COVID issues that you already referred to from during the season but I'm happy for Tatum and I'm excited for uh you know some 3 a.m 4 a.m basketball tips my time during the Olympics I'm gonna be up for
1: so my look on it is and this was the one thing that I really liked was yo if you're gonna be working out in the off season in an empty gym or in a LA fitness working on your game I would much rather you be doing that against elite level international competition. You know, you, you've had your rest. You, you got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. You, you're at home. You're on the beach. You know, you've probably had your couple of weeks rest. Yeah, he's on vacation with Deuce right now. You know what I'm saying? So is that on Snapchat is putting those things up?
0: Yeah, see him Him and Deuce were having their uh, little little bro vacation taking walks on the beach. I'm not sure where they're at, but uh, maybe maybe they'll be down in Mexico when I get there and
1: I can say what's up to Jason Yo, and Deuce. Could you imagine, dude? <laughs> but like, it's those little things you've had your rest now you've had a prolonged period of time to let your body recuperate when you get back in the lab and you start looking at film like right i want to add more veer steps into my game or i want to put on some weight so you know i want a bit more stuckiness to me so i can get to the line that little bit more or hey i want to be able to see over traps or whatever it may be well instead of working on that in an empty gym now you can go work on that with Team USA, with other players whose brains you can pick and knowledge you can take, like pick up from there, and it's a tampering ground. So yes, we know, ta- you know exactly. what I mean. So let's see who wants to come play with Tatum and Brown. We can see what's popping. So hey. I'm, I'm completely for it, man. I'm completely. Yeah, everyone's throwing
0: out those, uh, those Dame Lillard
1: rumors. Yeah, what's a better time than building a relationship with Dame over in Tokyo? You know. Yeah, if, if Dame and Tatum like become like a duo for Team USA, those rumors will do nothing but intensify. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, this is this is the time to do it.
0: We've seen, you know, we've seen this be the case. This is how a lot of these super teams over the last several years have been built. Those super friendships that have actually turned into on-court pairings have happened you know, during the Olympics. So, you know, unfortunately, FIBA last time with uh, with Team USA Celtics, where there was four Celtics on the team, didn't go so well. But, you know, it's going to be exciting, I think, to have a Celtic in the Olympics this year. And then once we see what the rest of that roster looks like, see if uh, see if any of those relationships do build. And Jason Tatum being already a top 10, 12 player in the league, that's going to be attractive for some people to come play with.
1: And, I mean, I don't know if it holds the same weight where, like in the States, but, like, being able to say I'm an Olympian, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. That That is an achievement that very few people get to have. You know what I mean? It's not even like I get it. 450 people are in the NBA at any given time, but thousands of people can turn around and say, I- I've been in the NBA. That mm-hmm. number is far smaller to say, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I think that holds value like it would for me to be able to say like, I went to the Olympics and won gold in whatever it was. I'd do that in skiing if I had to, to win gold. Yeah. Dude, yep. like, there's a, it's a different level of prestige. So I yeah. can see why that would be enticing within itself. Yeah. And from an NBA perspective of that gold medal,
0: you know, that 92 team that really started all when they started sending professionals, the dream team. And if you really consider yourself, you know, one of the greats, Jordan's got a gold medal. Bird's got a gold medal. Magic's got a gold medal. Kobe. LeBron they all got gold medals so if you think that you're in that class if you're if you're fighting for that you know that level of greatness you want to have those same merits that they did you want to be the MVP you want to be the NBA finals champion you want to have the rings and to do that a gold medal is right in that in that case in that trophy case with everything else they got so
1: I think that's a major appeal when you're talking about these top tier NBA talents I think that pretty much wraps us up for the day Mr. Will yeah, I think you want to i'll let you close us out today man i'll let you close us out impart some um, parting wisdom on these people
0: well man i wasn't ready for this i don't know if i have anything ready to dish out to the people here but uh no man this is fun chopping it up here uh, i'm excited for my vacation and uh i'm really looking forward to getting able to chop it up with y'all when i'm on the beach maybe with a nice little cold libation in my hand but as always you know make sure you guys go in Check us out. Give us a rating. Give us a following. Five-star review. You know, don't be a dick. And uh, I think that's going to do it
1: for us. We'll catch everybody again on Monday. Will will be on the beach at that point. So, you know, we can all feel a little bit sad when, we, when we're when we listening or recording this show that Will is somewhere where we all wish we were. My country is heading back towards another lockdown by the looks of it. So uh, I'm just happy to be alive right now. We'll end it there. And we'll catch you all again on Monday. I ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the faith